coming to you from the KUCI headquarters in sunny Irvine, California. It's half past five with Paxton Wright. Tonight, part two of Paxton's interview with writer and producer Brett Baer. Featuring music by Mr. Scruff. Now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Paxton Wright. Hey guys, hey guys, hey, it's me, Paxton. Remember me? The guy who has his show at this time on this day every week? Well, nothing's changed. Just wanted to say hey. Anyway, if you have been staying up to date with this show, and why wouldn't you? It's the hottest show on public radio right now. Uh, You know that last week I aired part one of a spicy two-part interview with TV's Brett Baer. Not the highly divisive and controversial Fox News Brett Baer, but rather the writer and executive producer of hit shows like New Girl and 30 Rock, uh, as well as uh, United States of Terra, Pinky and the Brain, Norm, Just Shoot Me, so many others. So if you haven't listened to part one of this interview yet, then I'm going to, I'm going to break the mold here on half past five. I'm going to be, I'm going to do something that's never been done before. And I am actually going to urge you to, in fact, touch that dial, change it to something else, go back to the podcast of my show listen to part one, and then circle back to part two, because there is so much juicy content in part one that you are not going to want to miss, and it's and it's going to help give you some uh, prefacing to this interview. Also, if you don't want to do that, that's fine too. Part, part two is also very good. You can just start from here. That's fine with me. But, you know, I'm throwing my two cents out there. You make of it what you will. You're an autonomous individual, and you're uh, a big person and you can make your own decisions and I trust you but like I said if you want to listen to part one it's pretty good so do whatever you so please anyway I mentioned that you could listen to part one on the podcast but I didn't mention where you could find said podcast so I'm gonna do that right now that's on apple Podcasts at k-u-c-i colon half past five and that's where it has always been that's where it shall remain from now until the end of time Remember, let's say you missed where I just said you could get you could find the podcast and you also, uh, despite listening to the show every single week, have never heard me remind you repeatedly about where you can find this podcast. Well, then you can ask me personally on where to find this podcast and I will tell you. And you can do that by emailing me at paxtonwright at org. That's P-A-X-T-O-N-W-R-I-G-H-T at org going to the other side of the room here. ORG! I'm coming back to the mic now. I'm back to the mic. Did you have fun with that? I had fun with that. Anyway, let's waste no more time. Let's get right into this. Part two of my interview with Brett Bear. Enjoy, folks. 
we could yeah sort of redirect course for a bit sure. back onto the um, trajectory on a whole. Mm-hmm. I do want to talk a bit about after shows like uh, Just Shoot Me and Norm and uh, and Joey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you had to mention. Uh, we'll we, we, we'll we'll gloss over Joey, but there was um, <laughs> but there came uh, of course like I mentioned Thirty Rock yep. and the United States of Terra and and New Girl. Right. Uh, pretty massive hit shows. I, I, you know, United States of Terra being more of a cult show, but still with massive critical acclaim. Yeah. Um, and now you're winning Emmys. Now you've become uh, not to not to you know bloat your own ego, but I mean you've become a bit of a big fish in a small pond. A little. Well, bit. I don't know, but there are bigger, bigger, bigger fish in Hollywood. There's but. always bigger fish, as the expression goes. <laughs> but but that being the case, I mean, how did how did that feel? How how was that moment really realizing that you've come this far? You're now on two of some of the biggest sitcoms of the era and another uh, dramedy, which is also equally revered. Uh, you know, it's funny because like when you say that, I'm going like, who are you talking about? Because I, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure everybody's different for me. I don't feel different than I did when I was starting out or when I wasn't working. I still am the same person who's had these experiences. And I guess I don't look at myself and go like, Oh, you know, I did it because there's always more to do. And I've always feel like, I'm always learning and growing and there's more stuff I'd like to accomplish and tackle. And um, It's not a surreal feeling to get an Emmy, though? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a surreal feeling. You know, everything is always different in reality than you imagine it's going to be. I think I have a... Somewhere in here, I have a... Uh, we're, we're actually in my office right now at home, so... <laughs> um, I blew Cats it. out of the bag. Uh, yeah, I really screwed up. Um, no, but I, I have a picture of myself like that I drew as a kid holding an Emmy because, like, I don't know, because I was re- I was a moron. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm going to write myself a letter. Um, but uh, it was, you know, you, you grow up seeing these things and, and wanting to achieve certain things in life. I don't, know, I don't know why an Emmy mattered that much to me as a young person. Uh, maybe because they were pointy and sharp and I could use them as a weapon. But uh, I... You know, when when it happens, you, your career is so uh, nothing feels in the moment like you imagine it's going to feel. So those experiences are always unique. You know, when you're going like, oh, I thought this was going to be like this. It's like, oh no, it's like that. So right. now you've mentioned that on uh, on New Girl, one of the big key components to writing that show, which was obviously a show which was very much uh, a little bit an occasionally absurd take on an otherwise like slice of life situation sure or slice of life situations plural uh and you and dave and liz merriweather the show's creator mm-hmm. you uh really valued pulling situations from your own lives sure and that was a that was a huge component to writing the show was yeah. that most situations to some extent or another were pulled from your own life yeah uh, has that always been a really key part of writing to you did that develop later is that pretty key in everything that you write or was that more exclusive to new girl you know it's funny i think write what you know is something people say a lot and i think that there's some truth to that now whether or not you're literally writing uh you know the episode of your new sitcom that is uh, sitting and doing a podcast with paxton Wright or not uh, literally this experience or whatever i prefer know. to go by the paxton Wright. the paxton Wright. <laughs> thank you um <laughs> I won't forget that. Uh, you know, I, I think how, how what what something actually is in terms of like what you know or like the feeling of something and applying that to the characters you're writing for. I think you're always trying to do that a little bit because the more organic 
and the more connected to a real feeling or a real thought that something is that you've had, the just the better the work's going to be and the richer the work's going to be. Um, you know, when you're sitting in a writer's room full of 20 people who all have different unique experiences and you've got 22 episodes to fill and you're just, you know, talking about what happened that weekend and somebody brings something up and you're like, oh my God, that's hilarious. Let's, let's do that. Like, how do we make that work on the show? I've never heard anybody talk about that before. That idea, that feeling, I recognize that. That's really fresh. That's really funny. Let's go that direction and work on that. I think, I think definitely uh, for young writers, especially, getting in touch with what is really true to somebody is really the essence of what makes a piece of writing stand out when you're reading a stack of spe spec scripts up to your eyeballs, you know, and you got to pick out one person out of 50 scripts that you have. You can always tell when somebody's writing authentically from a real place. And, and weirdly, the more specific to a single individual voice or person material is, I think the more universal it becomes. It's this weird paradox where the more really unique and detailed to one specific small niche place or feeling or universe or experience, just the wider and the more universal and the more people uh, actually get attracted to it. Right. Very that, strange. That developed, that developed and, and understood, I guess, be it consciously or not on the part of the writer yeah, voice. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what is that like starting a new writer's room or, or getting thrown into an established one what is the, the uh, I don't want to say like grace period is not the right <laughs> term, but no, you know, you, but you, zero minutes, not, not even so much like, oh, coddling. I don't even mean that, but I mean yeah. like, how long does it take typically? I mean, maybe it's case by case for gears to turn and everyone working in synchronicity. Does that, is that totally case by case? Well, it is case by case and you know, you can't really count on chemistry. You just have to pray that you get it. Uh, when you're starting a writer's room and you're pulling different elements together, you're thinking about building a team. I always, I use baseball all the time as my metaphor because um, I love it. But, you know, you, you need you need some power hitters and you need some uh, great defenders and you need some guys who are going to move people over, uh, situational hitters. And you need, you know, you need a full composition of the entire spectrum in a writing staff so that you have people who are good at story and good at drama, people who are hard joke people, people who are more absurd, people who write more intimate, smaller uh, comedy that's nuanced. And, and you, you, if you can like weave the tapestry of all those things together, that's when I think you create a hit and you've got a really creative writer's room that's working together where even though the pieces may be very disparate, like on New Girl, we had we had playwrights, uh, Kim Rosenstock, a fantastic playwright who's very new, like maybe the best draft writer any of us on the staff had ever known. Just a really terrific writer. And then we had hilarious late night comedy writer named Berkeley Johnson who came off of uh, Conan. And I think this was his first sitcom job. Maybe he'd done one other small Comedy Central show there before he came over to us. But these are people together who their work informed each other. And that was great. So that's that aspect of it. When you're joining a writer's room, it's terrifying because it's a it's a rough place to be. And like I said, they don't give you much time before they start coming after you. Particularly in comedy, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I always say to young writers, if I'm not making fun of you, then we've got a problem because <laughs> uh, you want me to be coming after you a little bit. Right. That, that's how I know you're comfortable and safe, you know, because I can give you the business. Right. Right. There's one thing I have heard is that... Uh, 
when it comes to writing, because your your career is predominantly uh, in live action and animated comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one thing I've, I've uh, one is there one in between, by the way. Is there? <laughs> there's, oh, I, I suppose not. No, yeah. but I mean, like as far as drama, to uh, there's yeah. you know more. That's more. That's more what I mean. So, uh, given that, I, the sentiment that I've heard echoed a lot is that animated comedy is a bit more like, um, hey, good job, bud. Like it's a bit more pat on the backy, and uh, uh, maybe maybe not. In what way? Like in terms of a uh, bit more people. People throw jokes; they don't always land, and there's a bit more of a you fall, oh. you get back up again kind of atmosphere. Whereas <laughs> whereas live action comedy can be a bit more cutthroat. Is that false? I, uh, yeah, I would. I think so. I think it's probably room to room. I mean, if you're talking about like Saturday morning animation, which is like what Pinky and the Brain and Animaniacs was, but I worked on the primetime version of Pinky and the Brain, which was uh, a lot of writers from uh, The Simpsons and uh, David Fury, who is uh, wrote Lost, I believe, and some other big dramas now. But that was a hard hitting comedy room. Those, you know, those, those people were. Those those shows were yeah. were uh, above were ahead of their time and yeah. in many many cases above their uh, their own audiences. Yeah, but I've been Not on heads, writing staffs yeah. in on uh, network sitcoms that were very friendly and that that were warm and kind in that way. And I just it depends on the makeup of the people and the right. sh- and the showrunner ultimately sets the tone. Right, like so. like you say, room to room. I guess that that proposes an interesting question to me, and obviously. Don't name names unless you want to. But uh, what, in your experience, makes a good showrunner versus a bad one? If mm. you can say that at all. I don't know if this is even something you can get into. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Please, please do. Uh, some people are very good at the job and some people shouldn't be doing it. I mean, it's it's an interesting thing because what happens in TV comedy, I can't speak to the drama side of it very well, but is you are a writer and then you're a producer, and then you're an executive, or co- not ex- executive, but a co-executive producer. Like you work up this kind of like army-like hierarchy in your career, and then all of a sudden you go from being a writer-producer, which means you basically just sit in the writer's room and write jokes and write write scenes and comedy. All of a sudden you become the showrunner, which is a completely different job. It's really like running an organization of 250 people and dealing with the studio and the network and actors, like like having to have a relationship with actors and managing budget. And there's no training for it. In fact, the Writers Guild finally started a program, I think 20 years ago, called the uh, Writers Guild Showrunner Training Program, which was designed literally to teach writers who were promising how to do all the other stuff that nobody gives you any experience doing. You're cutting, you're, meaning you're editing, you're... I mean, you're doing everything. Right. Looking at costumes, picking props. I mean, it's a full-time job that you have had zero training for. So some people just naturally, I think, gravitate into the um, the role. And and you also have to be a brilliant creative mind to do good work. Like somebody like uh, you know Larry David, brilliantly funny, brilliantly talented person. He ran that show. And there are so many aspects to the job that are so complicated that some people are brilliant writers brilliantly funny and just can't take on the leadership position so what makes a good showrunner decision making because you are under the gun the second you start production or pre-production i should say you've got 22 to 24 we did 27 or 28 in one year of new girl shows to to crank out you got to stay on budget you got to make it happen and these scripts have to be good and you're going to have to deal with the actors when they read them and go, what is this even about? And you're, you have to be able to like make sure that this material holds up. 
So you got to be making decisions constantly and you have to have a good, strong gut and move it to a certain direction. You have to be ready to adjust when something falls apart and it doesn't work or you have a bad table read. Um, so I think decisiveness is incredibly important. I, I think just good leadership management skills. There is an aspect of the job that's kind of being like a psychologist because you have you know 20 writers in a room. They're all very, very unique and different personalities. So you've really got to be able to learn how to speak to this writer versus that writer. How do I handle this actor versus that actor? How can I manage people so that we're all pushing the ball in the same direction and you don't have fraction? Like, you know, when you have a, a, a weak leader or somebody who can't make decisions or is constantly changing their mind and flip-flopping back and forth, then dissent starts to occur and you lose the organization. And ultimately the shows just, they don't get good because you're making too many decisions at the last second and you're not really keeping the trains running on time. Right. Like Mussolini. <laughs> Mussolini would have been a great show. <laughs> he never found his niche. He really you know, didn't. Born, he really blew it. Truly born in the wrong generation. He really was. Wrong generation, wrong country. And, uh, you know, he's, he has the look. He would have would have been fantastic. <laughs> he does he does look like I could see Mussolini in a Porsche. Yeah, you know, right. Yeah. Go just going down Melrose. That's a uh, pulling into the uh, Paramount lot. Oh man, flashing his badge, waving at the guard, <sighs> zipping into his spot. How different history could have been. I know. Wow. I know. Wow. Sad. Well, you know, better luck for the Mussolini family next time. Maybe someone will pick up the reins eventually. Exactly. Uh, a showrunner is that? Would you say that's the ultimate? kind of make or break position for a show as far as like well i mean i guess i guess so many components are key to a show but sure if a show like let's say you have a great right everything is working smoothly you and everyone is exceptionally talented at what they're doing but the showrunner is a is a mess is your show doomed like dead in the water for that or uh, probably probably nine out of ten times you're doomed yeah. um and those people don't usually last or the shows get canceled or sometimes they'll get fired and replaced uh if it's not working out but i mean you know you can have you know, there have been some successful shows in American television, I won't name names, that uh, have really just traded on the incredible charisma and talent of the lead actor who people just flock to see, even though the writing is crap or, you know, it's not it's not a quality program <laughs> right. that people will watch because it, that guy's funny or that woman's funny. So everyone here in this, myself included, is thinking of show titles in their heads. Absolutely. Right now, but we won't we won't say them. Uh, now I guess we're, we're, uh, just about out of time here, but, uh, one, one question I'd like to ask is, uh, what for you, be it a, a, a particular joke or a, a script you wrote or something even outside of the actual process of writing, what was the kind of proudest moment for you in your career? Was there a, was there, oh boy. like, it, was there a particular joke even that you just were like, this was, <laughs> this is, this is good. I've got this. Oh, Dave boy. and I have got this. No, I mean, that's a good question. And it's a hard question. You know, I've had episodes of stuff that I've done that I was like, yeah, that was really exciting. And I, I, lo I love the way that came out or a couple jokes or bits. Um, it's hard to put a finger on one. I think uh, I could make a small chain of uh five or six things that probably stick out in my head but no one moment that just it's it's such a journey like you know if you have a great moment on monday in this business tuesday's going to be terrible so <laughs> you you learn not to like uh well i did I, you know 
sure that uh, my wife would tell me that I do this too much. But, you know, I'm like, I'm always expecting the worst to happen. So anytime I have a good moment, I'm just bracing myself for the next terrible one. So <laughs> I don't know if that answers your question, but... So, sounds healthy. Yeah, very healthy. <laughs> uh, it's a it's a, an industry uh, that I think is lauded and celebrated for uh, great conditions of oh, everyone yeah. working within it. Yeah, we're all <laughs> we're all sane. We're all terrific, <laughs> wonderful, healthy people contributing to society in many many ways. <sighs> Shout out to Randy Quaid. Um, <laughs> uh, so I guess finally, before we go, now now that New Girl is is over mm-hmm. and in the rear view, you've got new projects on the horizon. I here. do. Uh, if you want to just tell us briefly about those. Sure. I, uh, I have, saying what you can. Well, I, yeah, I'm in, in development on three projects right now. I have a fourth that we're working on. One is a show that we set up at uh, Hulu, which is uh, called A Thousand Naked Strangers, based on a book by a, a former EMT named Kevin Hazard. Uh, highly recommend the book. Um, if people like to read, they can read the book. Uh, that is not a call to action. Um, <laughs> this is, and it's, it's also not for the uh, moron community. Either. Exactly. No, it's a really cool book about his experiences being a, a paramedic uh, in Atlanta in one of the world's worst uh, ambulance companies. Uh, so that's a, that's a fun project. Uh, we have a, a, a musical sitcom about death that we uh, sold to ABC, so we're waiting to hear on that, just turn in the draft on that to the network. And we have a third project, which is for Apple, based on a Belgian format called Clan, that is really exciting, and we got some really uh, cool components with with that show that we're really excited about. And then this fourth project is a sitcom we're working with uh, with some other writers. Nice. Who, yeah. These are all you work on all these with uh, Finkel or all or... of them with Finkel. Everything I do is with Dave. Dave and I made a decision early in our career that uh, we would uh, stay a team and be a team as long as we could because we would gladly split any paycheck to be able to shut the door and go, "What the heck was that? <laughs> what did they just say? <laughs> who who are the? Oh my God! You know." So we uh, we we're gladly uh, working. We work together on everything. Nice. Yeah. Well, yeah, it seems like with these uh, with these three scripts uh, or these these three uh, projects coming up on the way, there is like a thematic through line of thanatology. Yeah, is, uh, there's, <laughs> they, they, they all have a dark streak in them, uh, for better or for worse. We'll see how that fares, but uh, yeah, it's uh, they're they're all life affirming though in the end, which I guess is the secret. Right. And I think it's uh, there's a bit of an ebb and flow in comedy where uh, you know the I think like. The aughts were very kind of jaded, and then the tens got very kind of like let's all relax and, yep. and take and and exhale a little bit. Yeah. Now I think people are you know swinging back toward you know maybe not maybe not early aughts jaded necessarily, but but they want a bit more edge and what. Yeah, and I think streaming is affecting that. There's yeah, that more too. of a niche audience for each specific voice or show, so you have a, a wider spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, uh, Brett, thank you so much for coming on. And doing. Thank this. you so it's much m- for having me. Much much appreciated. Fantastic studio you have here you've already given it away brett i already i know you know well next week we'll be back in the studio probably we'll see well who knows who's who's to say uh anyhow (laughs) (laughs) you're to say it's your podcast it's true well hey no it's it's my it is my podcast but to be fair i mean i i accommodate for my guest let's say my next guest is in an iron lung i'm not going to ask him to come into the studio yeah so we could have done this at the beach or a bar or something like that we could have done this in iron lungs wow there's we had our options but all right here we are next time next time all right thanks so much brett thank you appreciate it